This episode is brought to you by Salt and Strings Butchery in Southern Illinois. Order your custom beef today by visiting saltandstrings.com or use the link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Barbell Logic, the premier online coaching service for barbell strength training. Get your first month free by signing up at barbelllogic.com slash hardmen or use the link in the show notes. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. Excited that you could join me for this episode. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking with my friend Adam Page, who is a pastor at Amelia Baptist Church in Florida. And we're going to be talking about the Asbury Seminary Revival. Or was it the Kentucky Squirrel Revival? Well, we'll dig into this and more in this episode We're going to be giving our thoughts about what's going on in Kentucky outside of Lexington with Asbury Seminary, and uh, it's worth noting Adam and I spent some time together in Louisville, Kentucky at the Southern Baptist Seminary. We both attended at the same time, but before we jump into that conversation, I kind of want to outline what exactly has happened at Asbury. You can see the Asbury Revival 2023 is still trending as a hashtag on Twitter. It's been all the roar, it seems. So what exactly went on at Asbury? Well, CNN reported that between 50,000 and 70,000 people have attended across what looked like about a 16-day revival. Eventually, the seminary, uh, because it was overwhelming the town, they said, hey, people, please stop coming. The town was simply not prepared to handle such a large influx of people. Asbury, in case you're wondering, is a Methodist seminary with a historic rootedness in Wesleyanism and revivalism. Asbury has been known as well for heretical theology, including its embrace of LGBT plus theologies. And uh, I knew some students who went there and we had discussions while I was in seminary and they were arguing things like systematic theology is bunk and we shouldn't be trying to systematize the Bible. Uh, They were pretty much, at least the students I talked to, against confessionalism. So Westminster Standards, London Baptist Confession, they were uh, a no on those things. It's also worth noting as we jump into this show that I will be doing a show with Pastor Dan Burkholder, my friend here at Refuge Church and co-pastor. That will air on the Patreon after hours, and we're going to be talking about revivals and revivalism. Uh, Dan has studied quite a bit on church history on this issue, so I want to unpack with him in the after hours what these revivals have looked like, maybe what some of the bad fruit that they have produced are, what we should be looking out for. We're also going to be talking about how you can spot grifters at such events because they always seem to have them. And we're going to be talking about how we ought to, as Christians, interpret these events through the lens of Scripture. By the way, if you're not yet a Patreon supporter, if you want to listen to that show and more, you can join today for as little as $5 a month. However, if you sign up today at the $10 a month rate, you can get the Hard Men Slunk Eggs coffee mug. That is free to you if you sign up today for the $10 a month tier. Somebody asked me, how many eggs does the uh, Hardman Slunk Eggs coffee cup hold? I'm not actually sure, but I feel like we have to figure that one out. So maybe we'll do that and post a video over on Instagram, and uh, I'll show you how many eggs can be slunked successfully out of the Hardman Slunk Eggs coffee mug. One other caveat I want to give about the Asbury Revival, since some time has passed since Adam and I first recorded this episode, I was skeptical in the first place, but even more skeptical after reading and following more about what's going on. Some of you will notice that there have been a lot of, I would say, overly charitable takes from leaders in the church regarding this event. I think some of it probably has to do with the Baptist tradition itself being pretty open in its own history to revivalism, which isn't necessarily a problem. But I think many leaders as such have been reticent to discount what's going on. I think it's actually pretty easy to discount what's going on. And we'll talk about why, both in this episode with Adam and then also in the after hours with Pastor Dan. Now, one of the people who was speaking, you probably, if you were on social media on Twitter, you saw at least a portion of his speech. He's got the gay mop top on his head, Elijah Drake. And uh, his Twitter profile says he's a celibate, same-sex attracted gay student at Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, Yeah, no. And so he was posting on this thread, and he was talking about 
He's really excited about what's going on at Asbury because they're changing their view towards homophobia. So on Twitter, Elijah had written, Tonight, I've been at the Asbury University Revival going on four days. Yesterday, I wrote a prayer request for queer students on campus that I returned to see erased. This troubled my soul because it felt emblematic of the way that queer people have their stories erased at church. The post goes on. You can check this out. Elijah Drake, at Personhood Lives, or Lives, not sure, uh, on Twitter. But yeah, that is troublesome. So you've got somebody who is of that bent, uh, doing at least some of the teaching, also being present. Then you've got over, this was on the Dissenter Substack page, um, and this is, I'm quoting, it says, progressive evangelical leader says he has spoken to multiple queers at Asbury who have all said that conversations with staff and students have led them to be hopeful that this revival is moving the school in a more queer-affirming direction. Uh, yeah, so needless to say, that is very troublesome. Now, one of the things I posted to Facebook was this. The surest sign of genuine revival is always repentance regarding the central idols of the day. The magicians burned their books publicly. Gideon burned his father's altar in public, and Zacchaeus paid back what he stole. When people start tossing rainbow flags in the dumpster fire of basic white girl wokeness, you'll know. Well, I think the main point is, if this was genuine movement of God, like you saw in the book of Acts, then I think you would see people repenting. Turn around and tell those people. Tell them. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I said I like women. Women, women, women. And repenting of specific sins of the day, the central idols of the day, when in fact that's not really what we've seen, well, at all. But what do we see with Asbury going on? Among other things, we see unrepentant homosexuals preaching. I don't even know how you could call it that. You've seen shallow teaching. Among the people who've been interviewed, the number one thing I saw was just generic love and unity, movement of language of you know, blah, 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 God doing something, right? There's not a lot of specificity to the message like, oh, I repented of these sins. I was super convicted. When you look at the book of Acts, you see Peter's preaching, and it's authoritative gospel preaching, and then people are rent to the heart, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And they repent. But it seems like at Asbury, we see very little sign of actual repentance. I I'm also concerned because in our culture, we've been trained to be attracted to flashy events with emotionalistic responses. And this is, in fact, tied up in this love for social media phenomenons that seem to explode overnight. It's like Billy Graham crusades on crack cocaine when you put them on Twitter. We also know that the event has attracted many grifters, as these events tend to do, including Greg Locke, who tried to attach himself to the event, as did others. The problem I find most of all is that everybody wants a circus, and few people want the long, plodding work of Christian obedience. So should we be skeptical about events like this? Well, I would say absolutely we should be skeptical. And I fail to see overall what the value of an event like this would be. Obviously, the fruit will tell, but the fruit is already bearing and it doesn't look good. So that is my hot take, if you will, on the Asbury revival. I will say as a Presbyterian, I'm really looking for things like reform and long-term building of the new Christendom, so I tend to be less attracted to these flashy, flash-in-the-pan moments, right? I grew up in the young, restless, and reform movements, and we had passion conferences, and, oh, there's 50,000 people in a stadium, and we're singing some Chris Tomlin song, and I don't even know what the lyrics mean, but it's, the G chord is really moving me right now, right? I grew up with that, and so I tend to be pretty skeptical and sick of this stuff, and I think it's actually healthy to be skeptical of stuff like this. It can't possibly hurt if you try to look at these things through the lens of Scripture. So that's hopefully what we're going to do in this episode with Pastor Adam. And again, thanks to Adam Page, Pastor Adam, for joining me on this podcast. So stay tuned, buckle up, and enjoy this interview. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Khan, and joined today by a Florida, 
Floridian. Is that how you say that, Adam Page? That's accurate. Florida. So Adam and I go a way back, a way back to our seminary days. Uh, But we also go back to Denver and Jacksonville because Jacksonville is the worst team on the planet. (laughs) This was not in in the draft of what this was not in the notes. But Adam, (laughs) you wore a Jacksonville hat to my podcast. I did. Yeah, I did. As a statement, I I had no choice. As an act of war. As an act of war. So for people who don't know, Adam, you are a pastor at Amelia Baptist Church, and you've been doing that how long now? Uh, I have been nine years coming up in May. Nine years. So we there was a time, Adam, and I want you to kind of flesh out this story because it's so life-changing and, and inspirational. Like, people watch The Blind Side, but they don't know this story. And this story is Adam and I working at a Valvoline Instant Oil Change together. And you were basically the Michael Orr of our store, correct? I, I was? Yeah. <laughs> in, what, in what world was I like Michael <laughs> Orr at Valvoline? There's got to be some resemblance to how you were like Michael Orr. I don't know, Nothing, Adam. In no way, shape, or form was like Michael Orr. <laughs> you were inspirational. Well, first of all, I wasn't good. At what we were doing. Like, you couldn't wait to get me out from under the cars and by the computer. I told you, I was as honest with you as I could be. And I said, I think Hitch was there too. And I said, uh, I said, I, I said, I remember just letting you know, one time I called my grandfather over to start my car and all he did was put it in park and turn the ignition key. <laughs> yeah, that was good. No, it was a good time, man. No, I, no, I don't think that I was some phenom at football or phenom at the old chip, but I did listen. I did listen to you and learn a lot from you. You were so wise, even when you were thinner. Even uh, yes, even when you before all of that muscle and yes. masculinity, you were just filled with wisdom. Exactly, my beard was much pain. shorter. It was it was barely a beard. I remember you just with what I'm sporting. Just yes, baby beard. And yeah, so way different. It, it's interesting, Adam. We've we've come a long way from that time period, but like Joseph in the pit. It was very, very formative, at least for me. <laughs> That's a good way of putting oil changes uh, coming <laughs> coming out of the pit. Isn't that what we called it under the cars? That's literally what it was called. Yeah, man. So and it was formative. It was good. Adam, I just want to ask you. We're gonna we're gonna talk today about something that is well, was close to Louisville, actually. So we both went to a seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm. Uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I think you actually graduated with a piece of paper, correct? I did. I, I finished, yeah. Okay. Well, I finished I'm a, the master's program, yeah. I'm a quitter, so yeah. uh, I don't actually have the piece of paper. However, just a little ways down the road is a little old Asbury Seminary, and yeah, a little more. Mm-hmm. they've uh, been in the news recently. Yeah. So I guess uh, we're going to talk about that in this episode, this Situation with, quote-unquote, I think the hashtag is Asbury Revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to kind of, if you would just lay out, like, what's been going on at Asbury as you follow that situation? Yeah, about two weeks ago, uh, during a 10 a.m. chapel service, there was a uh, there was a, a sort of a message. I don't necessarily call it a sermon or a gospel presentation, because it's actually available. You can actually go look at it. Have you listened and to it? I have. I listened to it. It It, it is, um, I mean, first and foremost, it, that one particular message that they said sort of stemmed uh, an awakening. I mean, these are all reports of, of just people who couldn't leave the chapel service or didn't want to leave the chapel service. And then there was an email sent out from the president that sort of said there's something great happening. I think it was the president. It might have been the, the head of the, the student activities. But someone sent out an email and basically said, hey, come to the chapel. And when they started doing that, it just, it never ended. The chapel filled, mm-hmm. they were, they would go back and forth between messages and songs uh, to leave uh, others sort of in a, outside of that situation thinking, okay, is this, is this a biblical revival? Is this a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a great right. way, a big way? And, uh, you know, we're, we're nearly two weeks. And I think the last statement uh, come February the 23rd, 24th, the president said he was going to call it. And, he has reasons for that too. So at the beginning of it, nothing, no, it was, it was a Tucker Carlson talked about this. It's, yeah. I saw he had like the student body president on his show. Right. It's everywhere. Uh, from Asbury. It's, it's huge. And it's reignited the sort of conversation of revival. You know, that's been a huge topic in our church, even to where I've had to kind of pull out the books and, 
and do a lot of reading and studying just so that I have an answer for revival and revivalism and, uh, and, and know sort of the wise way to go about this. But basically that chapel service is still going two weeks later. It is still going. Okay. Cause I, I saw the student body president was kind of saying like, Hey, let's, let's calm down people mainly because the town was overwhelmed. So they said that twice as many people were in the town than, than the people who live in the town. Wow. You can imagine, imagine your city with twice as many people over yeah, the span of like two weeks. So overwhelming and not necessarily in a good way, but just kind of in a, it's lost sight of what it was way. Yeah. It's really interesting. So 13 plus days, this is from Fox news, 13 plus days that it's been going on. It's thrown over 50,000 people. Some of those people from around the world and Sarah Baldwin who, okay. So this is where Tucker Carlson talked to her. Yeah. But she's the vice president of student life at Asbury. And I want to just kind of quote her. This is her description. She says um, that the revival was, quote, an outpouring of the love of God, starting with Generation Z and overflowing to the rest of us to bring healing, joy, and unity. She goes on to say, at the center of it all, it's been a, retor- a return to a wholehearted commitment to Jesus and turning away from anything that distracts us from Christ. We are deeply grateful for what God is doing, end quote. So, Adam, I, I guess when I first started reading about this, we'll get into some other people's responses that I think were really good and kind of what people are talking about surrounding this. Um, I was a little confused. So I remember from interactions with Asbury students back in the day uh, when I was in seminary, I actually had some family members who went there, or at least yes, one. Mm-hmm. And from talking to them, like th- there was – Feminism, rank heresy, uh, LGBT stuff going on uh, with their faculty. I understand some of that has changed a little bit. But even from the reports that I'm reading about this event, um, like they have like queer students. Um, is this true? Kind of what's your read on the situation regarding that? Oh, well, it's certainly true that they have – this is what we know, that they have students because everyone's going to be looking at Asbury not – not just to look at Asbury. Remember, people are looking at it now with intentions to either prove or disprove what, are, what is going on mm-hmm. based on the characteristics of the school, which I think there's flaw in even that approach too. Because mm. if there were to be a revival, they would be reviving, which also means redeeming or reforming something. So if anything, it's not necessarily that revival is a man-made construct that's brought about through obedience. That's not a place that is in dire need of a revival at that moment. Yeah. Um, so, so think about it. If we believe revival biblically is built, and which I'm sure we'll get more into, confession and repentance, then then it's going to find a place that maybe maybe rot with the necessity of confession and repentance. So, I, I never really understood any many men you and I respect sort of coming on and saying, "Oh, well, this can't be true because they have a queer student leading worship." Well, that 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 sort of your theology is working against you there because we know that people aren't necessarily regenerated immediately and then and then everything about them is just perfectly fixed and adhering to the scriptures like that's that's the process of sanctification which is lifelong in discipleship so if people are going there my question is how trustworthy are the sources and that was what was leading into a deeper look in the leadership of Asbury and some of the decisions they've made and so without a doubt a lot of people have done the research and again regardless of their reasoning there was uh, openly queer students leading worship, um, or at least in the band, at least participating in serving yeah, in good. those capacities. And, uh, and then plenty of people, of course, coming out and saying, I go to Asbury and I hope that it's a sign of you know, an LGBTQ affirming future. Yeah. Which then, which then actually says that they weren't LGBTQ affirming. That in, in 2020, Asbury had fired uh, LGBTQ affirming staff. Yeah. You know, so, so well, there's this, there's this back and forth really that leaves me equally confused as to the authenticity of, of the staff and, and comes to, you know, scripture. Yeah. So this that. is one of the interesting things. So my initial thought, like partially just as a student of social media, right? Like we live in the, you know, what's trending on Twitter. Everybody wants to jump on bandwagons. Um, whether it's George Floyd, whether it's Kyle Rittenhouse, everybody has a snap judgment. I think part of the problem with this, number one, is you just have to see what the fruit is long-term of something. Um, But from the initial, I was immediately, this was from uh, Ken Ham, 
they sent a lady who was like on staff with Answers in Genesis. She was there and she was kind of like, yeah, I mean, she interviewed some students and some of it didn't sound terrible, but okay. So from what she said, plus watching all the, I watched as many of the Twitter videos as I could find, at least the ones that seemed to be like trending. And all I really see happening is I saw a little bit of the main message and the guy was like, love and surrender and some other like mainstream, lamestream, evangelical garbage kind of platitudes. It, it was nothing that struck me as like, wow, this is, oh, wow, powerful message. I didn't, so I didn't really see anything there. And then most of the worship music was just kind of like run of the mill modern worship music. Uh, right. The, the main thing seems to be that they went on and on and on. Um, obviously for 13 days, that's a long time. But this is what the lady for Answers in Genesis said. She said, sadly, um, Asbury, as we learned from viewing its website, so apparently you can still find this, they teach theistic evolution and appear to be quite woke, promoting CRT-based resources, for example. So that's on the Answers in Genesis website. Ken kind of signed his name to it as well. My immediate thought, Adam, was like, okay, let's talk about what, what are we talking about when we're talking about revival? Well, biblically speaking, it would be like Acts chapter 2 and following where somebody is preaching the gospel, the spirit comes upon people and they repent, like they're cut to the heart and they repent. And I was even thinking about in Acts. So when the magicians are convicted by preaching, they burn their books, which was right. a large sum of money. Right. So there, there's signs of repentance. Now, you compare that to what's happened. I, I don't know that anything that I've read that anything like that has happened. I haven't seen like a great wake of repentance. Maybe it's happening. Maybe we just haven't seen the fruit of that yet. But it also reminds me kind of the uh, early Jonathan Edwards revivals, right? So Asbury is a Methodist seminary. Yeah, A lot of the revivalism is John Wesley and Methodism after it. But it seems like, and, and, and I want to ask you about this, it seems like Jonathan Edwards, it seems like the guys that lived through those revivals, they also were having to clarify what was true and false. Um, Jonathan Edwards was, it points direct with David Brainerd about, hey, I think you've gone off the rails here. Of course, the famous quote, he told one of his uh, professors he thought he had no more grace than a chair. And uh, they were like, yeah, you can't you can't actually say that. So, so I just want to get your, your thoughts about this. It seems like in this conversation of revivals, there's always been this difficulty of what's actually happening uh, in, in this event. Do you agree? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think I think there's things to watch. I also think that you know my official statement is we don't know, and that's good. Um, we have no idea if it's a real revival or not, and we're not going to know until after it's done, just like every other revival. I mean, the reason why you know that the Great Awakening took place, the first Great Awakening in 1730s and the 1740s, uh, and the re the reason why it has a permanent mark on church history is not because you were there when it was happening. It was because you read about it and saw the effect of those things take place within the culture, uh, within the church. You saw growth, a, a mass wave of repentance and confession. You don't know what these things are until after. You can have uh, appropriate speculations, uh, appropriate. You can be justified in and some of your um, your sort of your portrayal of I don't know should I you know hesitance. I think a lot of right now people are saying if you're hesitant, that's an immediate. I, I can't even pay attention to the people who are saying if you're hesitant about this and giving it thought, you just are automatically uh, an unbeliever. Like this is just insane. <laughs> you know that's that's because that's what like humans if you do. if you are questioning whether it's a true revival, you mean right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, that's that's actually been said, yeah. Samuel Say said, I hesitate to call what is happening a revival. Now, I love Samuel. I, we've interacted a bunch. He He's a good dude. I actually, we'll talk about it in just a minute. I thought his article was on point. Yeah, I thought so too. I loved how he began it as well. But 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 when it comes yeah. to down, down to the evidences of revival and revivalism within the church, right, Eric? You have several things that don't necessarily mean revival. And those, and my like take is frenzy, like frenzy, chaos, heightened emotions, uh, is one ready testimony. I think there's sometimes like this idea that they have people coming up ready with a very impactful testimony. And that to me doesn't necessarily signify uh, revival. I think testimonies take time. 
there is uh, e- even the freedom in worship, like you said, not necessarily chaos, but just the, the presence of what we believe to be worship. Well, you and I, let's say this, this revival never happened. You and I can spend a lot of time talking about why we need to make sure our worship is about the right things, mentions the right things, is done in a way of reverence and awe, and glorifies God over man. Like your worship song should not also be able to be sung to your boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> and, and no lyric changed, right? You know what I mean? And and yet, yeah. you know, and, and I'm just, again, like you said, we're, we're students of social network. We're not traveling to Wilmore because number one, a revival isn't like a portal to heaven. Like, like people are treating Asbury like it's the portal to stranger things, the upside down. And you're sitting here like, no, you don't have which to Which would be it. interesting, quite which honestly. Would, which would be great <laughs> if you open the building and there's just, just <laughs> monsters. But no, that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is, if your Bible's open, you have access to the truth. You have, the Spirit can work. Uh, people can be saved. Uh, wherever you are, there can be spiritual renewal. So I think it really led to a bad view of revival. And you and I both know the nature of, of evangelicalism. There immediately is going to be people who desperately want to cling to those coattails of excitement, and half their services were probably changed at the last minute that Sunday, and they wanted to have the same kind of reaction and revival in their churches. And they would say that it was for good intentions. They would say, we just want to see people come to the Lord, but that's, it's, it's not just in these extraordinary 13-day worship services that you should be praying for. I was going to ask you, like, pastorally, the reason, um, you know, I've read on, you know, say, like, Ian Murray, uh, Revival revival and Revivalism, and even Martin Lloyd-Jones, his book on Revival, which I think is called, I can't remember, Revivalism or something like that. It's blue blue cover. Interesting treatments, I think, pretty good. But, like, you read Martin Lloyd-Jones on it, and he's talking about, like, okay, the preaching of the gospel, the redigging of the wells of Abraham, meaning... We're unearthing Calvinism and Puritanism, and that's what's causing uh, people to repent of their sins. One of the things that I just want to ask you pastorally, though, to tie all that together is, okay, it seems like one of the problems is, like, we see things like this, and we get really excited and, like, emotionally jacked up, and then people in our churches are like, yeah, I want this, and... For the most part, I think what needs to happen is just, like, plain, ordinary discipleship. I mean, it's great if, like, 2,000 people in one day repent. But even if that was the case, it seems like, okay, well, at some point, those 2,000 people, you're going to have to just do the hard, ordinary work of repentance. So I'm curious, like, pastorally, how do you not jump on that train while at the same time saying, like, yeah, we do want people's lives to be transformed. It's just going to be a lot of hard work that's not sexy like maybe a Twitter extravaganza might be? Yeah, no, that's a good question. We, we, we approached it this way. Uh, the most extraordinary thing that can happen in the life of a Christian are the ordinary weekly worship services. Mm-hmm. That, that we're not opposed. I, I want to be very careful that our, our theology and our love for theology doesn't get in the way of our belief in what a supernatural God can do. Like he, that what he's allowed to do. Sometimes I believe we are so much about God's sovereignty, we we basically don't believe in his sovereignty yeah. to do the things that he wants to do if it's not inside our box that we've established or that we may conflate with, you know, liturgy or or sort of how we feel comfortable in our type of worship. And 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 so this can get even back to the regulative principle. But the idea is that we as a church service are praying for revival, but really more than anything, we're praying for spiritual renewal. We're not praying for man-made constructs to do well or something on the calendar for three or four days to attract a lot of people. What we're praying for are that the churches do what they're supposed to do, which is make disciples, and then we'd be excited enough about what's happening in our life to share the truth with people no matter the cost. That, to me, I find it extraordinary. I freaked out more at the news that we had a 22-year-old who would not for years read his Bible daily, come up and tell me that for the last year he read his Bible every day. Man. To me, that that is exciting to me in the same level as maybe a mass conversion of confession and repentance. Because to me, that's that's really putting meat to the matter here. Um, so we, we approach it with personal examples, personal testimonies. I'm not against testimonies in the worship service. I'm not against in just hearing what God will do. I'm not afraid of emotions. I'm afraid when we let our emotions guide us. Uh, in our worship. I think that's the biggest difference to sort of explain as leaders. It's not a a sin to be emotional in your worship. It's not a sin to read lamentations and weep 
over the pages, over your sin, over who you are and what Christ has done. It's a sin when all of those, your entire relationship with Christ is just emotional. And there's no truth attached to it whatsoever. And it can be whatever you want it to be. Then it becomes malleable, which means it becomes useless for the kingdom. And that that's sort of, I'm not saying that's happening at Asbury. I'm just saying that's that's going into it. It doesn't, we're not hopeful all the time, especially the longer something goes. As a global study from 2021 pointed out, people who lift weights just 30 to 60 minutes per week increase their lifespan by up to 20%. You heard that right, 20%. Other studies have shown that strength is one of the factors tied most directly to increasing your longevity. Interestingly enough, this holds true at any age. In other words, whether you're 18 or 87, you greatly increase your chance of living longer simply by doing some form of strength training. Speaking of which, I've been lifting weights through Barbell Logic online coaching for about nine weeks now. I'm working with my trainer, Matt Reynolds, three workouts per week, and I've increased my deadlift and squat by over 100 pounds. And that's just nine weeks. My bench press has increased by almost 50 pounds. I've never had weightlifting coaching, but with custom-tailored workouts and constant feedback from Matt after my workouts, I've been able to improve form, increase weight, and grow much stronger in a very short period of time. My deadlift is now up over 285 pounds, my squat is over 275 pounds, and my bench press is over 220 pounds. Are you ready to improve your strength, get in better shape, and increase the number of productive years, God willing, that you have on Earth? Well, sign up today for Barbell Logic's online coaching, and your first month is always free. They'll pair you with the right coach to meet your training needs, so visit barbelllogic.com slash hardmen to get paired with a coach today and start your weightlifting program. You can also check the link in the show notes. Yeah, it also seems like, at the very least, like you you just want to view things cautiously. Um, I remember... You'll appreciate this, Adam. I was reading uh, Kristen Kobes Dumez uh, on Jesus and John Wayne. I like to call her Coco. Your pet name for because you guys are so close. We are close. And when I say close, I mean she blocked me. I mean she hates you. Right. Yeah, something serious. She actually did follow me for a little bit, her and Beth Allison Barr. Um, oh, good. Yeah, they were retweeting me, and they were like, check out this parody account. And then I think they realized that I wasn't a parody account. Oh, they thought you were? Yeah, oh, I think cool. so. And then, uh, yeah, that's anyway. The goal, really. That's then I the got goal. blocked. So, yeah, anyway, Coco, my friend Coco, she says that um, really interesting, actually, argument at the beginning of the book, if you can stomach all the anti-Trump hate and all that. But I could. I only read half of it. It's, it's, it's hard to read. But it's really interesting, like, what she says about Billy Graham and how it changed American evangelicalism. Because a lot of this stuff is not new. Right, big tent revivals and using mass media to stir people up. I think the 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 long term is always what was yeah what was the lasting change in people's lives. Right. You know, d- did the big revivals of early twentieth century did it make America more Christian? Were we more faithful? I'll also say this: it's really interesting, Adam, because my background is SBC Baptist world. That's how I grew up. Um, you're you know you you guys are in that world. It's been really interesting, though, among, like, Reformed Presbyterian types because it's it's totally different, right? I spent the last 10 years in Presbyterianism, and it's like, hey, if you raise your hand in church, you better have a question. Like, Right. So, and, right. and the reason I bring it up is actually helpful when, when you can take, like, you think about maybe the different denominations. I often think of them as, like, siblings with different giftings. So it's interesting to hear, like, what, what does a Missouri Synod Lutheran think about what's going on? What does a OPC Presbyterian think about what's going on? What's an R.C. Sproul-type Presbyterian think about it? And when you kind of put those things together, I think it is more helpful because there's kind of like this caution of like, well, let's examine it doctrinally. Right. Uh, one of the things Samuel says is, and I'm going to quote him, Samuel say, so this is on slowtowrite.com. He says, I've watched hundreds of videos of the revival and I still haven't seen any clips showing a clear preaching of the gospel. Right. And he does say, of course, that isn't evidence that people aren't preaching the gospel. Right? I think, like, that would be one where we say, okay, well, you know, we know in uh, Pentecost and Peter's preaching, we know that Peter clearly preached the gospel, and so that would give you, okay, that's, you know, we understand that message. Some of the other things that is interesting Samuel brings up, some of the preachers at the chapel are women, so obvious problem. I don't know if that, if he means... During the revival, I didn't necessarily see any women. 
I haven't, I haven't seen any women preaching during the chapel, which, but I don't even know. I mean, he I may guess. just mean, uh, in general, but he said there are several people prophesying, speaking in tongues, casting yeah. out demons and participating in faith healing. There, there, there was a video evidence of someone. There was who that they, who they who they believe. Yeah, they had, it was two men. I think it was one man, one woman, and they were holding a, a girl in the aisle, and there was a they were casting out a demon. You know, which led into this whole separate conversation. Now, I'm not playing. I'm just kind of not playing defense attorney. I'm really, I really am trying to stick to my rule of not judging this thing until it's done. Right, but. Eric, yeah. you know, you know people <laughs> like you know yeah. that if there is anything good, we will kill it. Like if there's anything that even could be remotely like a revival in this day and age, the the craziest of the crazy will flock to it and they will stomp it out. Right? Like this is what I'm. This I think my take, and I, I agreed with Samuel. My take was the first week of this was a lot different than the second week of this, but I'm not justifying any of it yet. What because was the we're change? Not, we're not after it. These these kind of reports that we just that we just okay. mentioned. It ended up sort of long worship, long songs, people at the altar, testimonies of confession, repentance, testimonies of belief, uh, and then in the gospel presented. I've seen the gospel presented more in the testimonies that were recorded than I saw in any of the messages I've seen so far. Like I saw people say, "I I see my sin." Like they were saying those things. Um, and, and I saw what Jonathan Edwards calls a, a gracious or a generous gratitude to Christ, to the Lord, for what he's done. Now, this, this was just profession. I, I haven't been there. I haven't experienced anything live. I've had a couple people that I trust uh, their discernment go within those first three to four days, Eric. Like actually I mean, attend the chapel? Yeah, like actually go, like professors, like people who I, who I don't, who have taught me what I know about theology, not saying they're perfect, but, but who are even friends still. And they said, we went, uh, there was the leadership brought a, a balance between the order and the freedom of worship is what he called it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like to your, your Presby, Presby comment. It's like there was an order and a freedom. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was important. And he said the messages he heard did include the gospel, but like I said, not all have been uh, produced or shared or anything And that was like that. early on? First four days. Okay. So his, his take may even change, being that all of the stuff we just mentioned has happened within 13 days. Remember, within six days, Todd Bentley and uh, Greg Locke were in attendance mm. on this thing, tweeting it and, and calling it how great it is. And you Doesn't know, that make awesome you a little... Well, that's so. That's what I wanted to. I, I wanted to get your take on that because here's my problem, man. I don't trust charlatans. I don't trust false teachers, and I certainly don't trust their takes. And what's interesting to me is I can't remember who it was. Someone I follow and, and like a lot, but I think he basically said, "See, like that was it. Like Todd Bentley went and enjoyed himself. So it's not a. It's none of it's been real. And it's not well, a real revival. And that's a I part of the problem, though. Is you know, in all fairness, like you look at Acts and you're like, okay, well, Simon the Magician, there's always people right, who want to be a charlatan and kind of ride the coattails of whatever's happening, right. real or not. I mean, my concern would, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to listen to what Greg Locke, so for people who don't it know. says about anything, yeah. Yeah, Greg Locke, I, I first knew of him when he was, he was speaking out pretty boldly against the COVID mandates and the tyranny people and all like that. his politics because he's pretty much in the face of the of the government you know yeah but, but then somebody was like hey by the way like he divorced his wife and married, married his secretary married secretary yeah he's still with her well you know true love adam so <laughs> it's okay right yeah it's part it was part of the health package <laughs> it was part, yeah but, but i think but yeah. when you see that you're like okay well clearly that's problematic there's some some areas of concern but again i i sure. mean I don't necessarily know that he was invited. He might have just showed no, up. No, no. And, and that was the thing, too, is that he wasn't invited. He's just trying to mooch uh, off of he, it. He wasn't speaking. The, these guys just see where the limelight is, and they want to go be a part of it, and they're continuationists, and so they want to run. They want to rub all kinds of things that, that, that look like that, that resemble some of the services that they put on and they use for philandering. They want to do that uh, to sort of spit in the face of anybody who practices or believes mm-hmm. in cessationism, you know, so this was all motive related. I don't think it basically said, okay, no one repented, no one confessed. I, I, I just believe that we got to be as a people, Eric, if what we say is really going to land with the same weight, with the weight it should land as we fight this yeah. and hold this line, 
then we just can't be a people who are almost eager to say that there is no repentance or confession happening uh, with these things. We just have to be careful. There's just a carefulness that has to present itself. So there's just been nothing wrong at waiting and seeing if in that area it results in, in a true revival of confession and repentance. And, and I mean, think about it. You know that after this, the, the Asbury admissions are going to skyrocket. There's going to be people that want to go to this college and this school. I mean, all of this is going to be good for Asbury in a financial sense because that's what we as humans do. There's, there's not a lot of critical thinking. There's just a look at what's happening, immediately act now. And uh, that's the part that worries me about these kind of things. It's, it's, not that, it's not making it easy to be something we celebrate based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, it's interesting too. So uh, Samuel brings up this up in his article as well, but it's interesting, this line of, like you look at the school, okay, and this is, I think from, okay, so this is from their website. Asbury University has been known through the years for its history of great revivals. There have been several occasions when significant moves of the Holy Spirit have swept the campus and reached across the nation. So I want to get your thought on this. Like when a school, Methodism in general, is like, hey, we're all about revival and revivalism. Um, okay, so you look at that and you're like, okay, they're like actually aiming at this yeah. in some sense. Like they expect it, they aim at it. It's kind of the same reason, like, if you, if you go to, like, a Presbyterian seminary, you're pretty much not going to see... They're, they're not, they don't have revivals because they're not trying to do that. They're not aiming at it. You know, right. nobody would ever be like, you know, Pastor Brian at our church who's like, oh, let's just continue the worship service for, like, five more days. Yeah. You know, first of all, the moms with little kids would be like, um, no. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> we have nap time, and God believes in everything in decent order, okay? We're Presbyterians. Did you hear order? Let me right, emphasize we'll, order we will, one more time. We will, we, we will get behind in our homeschooling. Yes. If, uh, so, if we wait. Do, do you think about that at all when you say, like, they're kind of like, you don't want to say, and it, all the news reports have been, like, trying to prove all the ways it's not manufactured. And I'm not saying that they tried to even to manufacture it. It seems like even that expectation, if you're expecting it, and then it happens at the one place where they're expecting it, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'd, I'd, to me, it comes across as, as, as less sincere. If it, if it just so happens, that's just my immediate take. It just yeah. so happens, if you look at the history, and it's like 1907, 1950, 1970, and they're always breaking out at this place, what does that, what does that mean? I mean, I think Wheaton... I had a revival on the books in uh, 1995. So here's my question. What's happening in these years between these breakout sessions? Like, wh where is the steadfastness and the consistency of good doctrine and good theology and not bowing to the whims of the world and not, you know, kowtowing for the culture? Like, where where is all of that between these, these massive waves of confession and repentance? I mean, are they just happening in these specific areas and then everyone's going other places? Uh, you know, like, why is it, why is it consistently in need of that kind of revival? Yeah. Is it just, you know, that's, I guess that's the point is I'm not saying, you know, new people aren't coming in and, and, and I will say this. Um, I work with young adults a lot, the, the young generation. We go over real doctrine and real theology and, and practice real discipleship, and we look over spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, and, and we, we want these for our lives. And there is a hunger. There is a, there is a new hunger, but it's, it's the kind of hunger that has stemmed from a boredom with the kind of um, sensational feel of church services. Like they're desiring, the new generation, I believe, is desiring something more authentic, more grounded, more real, uh, and and this is this is the kind of thing that's not always going to grab every person in that young generation. I think it's it's interesting these things happen on college campuses. Um, young people, young well, people, it's new also, generations, new Christians. It's also interesting, Adam, because uh, we talked about this in the King's Hall, but the more that we've thought about it, I think this is true. The big, fast, and famous church model, like mm -hmm. mega churches, all that. It is quintessentially the church of the boomer generation. Like, right. that is what they wanted to build because they thought it was cool. That fit with their kind of what they viewed in Western Christendom, at least, the megachurch. Right. I tend to see in the younger generations, there's more of a willingness to be radicalized in the younger people. And, and some of that can be good and some of that can be bad, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if by radicalization you mean – 
you're going to live boldly and courageously for Jesus, well, great. Um, but also, like, we've seen it in the Manosphere, the Red Pill movement. Th- they, it can go off the rails really quickly. And I think the issue is a, there's a lot of the younger generation that are looking back at their parents and saying, I don't like what you built. Right. I don't like the world you made. I don't like yeah. the churches that came out of that world. Right. And we want something that is more aggressive, militant. Um, I'm using words that are going to make all the leftists uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but I, I just see that in um, Gen Z. It seems to be like they're like kind of fed up, ready for something different. They are. Yeah, they are. But I mean, to think about it, Eric, like we're, we're parent age getting yeah. there, you know? Yeah. And so it's our generation that that was, was hook, line, and sinker to all the Furtics and the Hillsongs and the Bethels. We, our we grew up in the midst of it, put, yeah. Put, that, put those churches on the map, not young people. So the, what they're rebelling to, I believe, can be good, can be very good. Uh, yeah. But I completely agree with you. I think that what moves and motivates them is a need to belong to something. A lot, major reason is when people, that people were, I mean, you should, did you see any footage of the lines like outside this place, no. outside of Asbury? Dude, it was like fast-paced camera work, driving, videoing these lines, and recording, and they were just forever, forever. Jeez. And uh, and so, like I said, twice the population of the town. People want to belong to something special. They don't care what it is. They just want to be a part of whatever. There's FOMO going on here. There's the there's the fear of missing out that was driving a lot of that, especially second week sort of attendance. Uh, not yeah, just curiosity either, but camp, where is Jesus? I want to experience more of Jesus. Like, why would you need to drive anywhere for that? Why would you? Well, it's interesting anywhere? too, because th- and and again, that's where charlatans and grifters and people like that come in. Right. You know, the seven sons of Sceva, right? This Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Yeah, and, exactly. and and so there's always yeah. this, but it's also interesting, Adam. I was thinking about this uh, again. We had an episode on revivalism and how it shaped American Christianity. This was on the King's Hall. Yeah. But it's really interesting. So, like, 1829, Second Great Awakening happens right. um, in and after this time period. Methodists were very heavily involved. Mm-hmm. But because of it, the things that came out of that Second Great Awakening, one of them was Mormonism and Joseph Smith, which right. we know all about here in Utah. But I think it's a good caution, too, for people that a lot of what's been produced by revivalism-type culture, you have to be careful with it. Obviously, if we're talking about Jonathan Edwards and a revival of Calvinistic Puritanism, that's probably a good thing. Um, You can look at uh, some of the Ivy League schools that were started kind of as a result of that era, and you say, okay, at least for a while, that that was probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Christian education, that's great. Um, But you're always going to have Joseph Smiths who come into the revivalistic movement and say, hey, I think this is an opportunity for me. I can start my own thing i.e. a cult called Mormonism. And, you know, obviously uh, they've done it. Um, the JWs, kind of same deal. There's a lot of cults that came out of that time period as well and are still around. So it, it seems like that would be one of the things to caution. And when we're cautioning, we're not saying don't believe anything, but maybe, uh, I think it's in First John, just testing the spirits, right? You agree with that? Absolutely. If, if God, the Holy Spirit, is truly uh, indwelling in the individual, right, and repentance and confession are the markers of true revival, not joy, not uh, jumping up and down, freaking out, mm-hmm. certainly not flailing about, uh, there will inevitably and inarguably be new practices of holiness uh, right. as a result of that. Holiness doesn't simply remain as a private faith that you had for a certain period of time. That's, that's a trend, and unfortunately, I think we would know more about the authenticity of this certain revival if it, if nothing had been recorded and nothing had been shared and they sort of outlawed cameras and just kept it to the presence uh, of the people. We'd probably know a lot more of what was going on, but but things got diluted uh, by by what you're talking about, by sort of the mentality of, of not revivals, but sort of false portrayals of revivals that have mm. happened simply because of sensationalism. So there's no there's no little places, no small issues uh, where a true Christian does not desire and practice holy obedience. Does that mean perfect theology right away? Does that mean he's immediately or she's immediately just denying every part of her sin identity in any way, shape, or form? No, certainly not. I mean, it's a walk. But people are delighting in God. They're humble before the Lord. They have a, they have a sight of themselves 
in front of the Lord without the Lord, that's part of salvation, is to recognize your need. And in that, there's going to be serious change. And I don't, I don't think that just occurs through singing Great Are You, Lord, or Good, Good Father for 13 days. You know, so I, um, now, it's now to good, be honest, good mother, Adam. Now, now to be honest, I've sung "Good Good Father" and it feels like thirteen days <laughs> when you're singing it one time. Um, <laughs> but the whole the whole thing is, yeah, uh, I don't want to be. I really was. I'm be honest with you. It was a lot of um, there's a lot of introspection that I took on this man. Like, I don't want to be. I had a buddy of mine who said, Adam, be careful that the scrutiny that you place on other churches, because your own church probably wouldn't hold up to it. You know, I want to. I don't want to be that guy who who is so sound in his theology he can't believe in a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That that like a wave of confession, a wave of repentance occurs. I mean, if not, what are we praying for? What are you What are you praying for at your church, other than a repentance and confession wave? I'm praying for a repentance and confession wave. I'm in the Bible Belt South, bro. I mean, I would love to see thirty people come to me after a sermon and say. Uh, I don't want to leave here because I really don't know what to do with what I'm experiencing right now, but I'm feeling the heavy weight of my sin. I'm feeling convicted, and I believe it to be the Holy Spirit. I would love for a LGBT rally to come to our church, like maybe like 2,000 people outside. And then like as the preaching's happening, they're all like, shoot, we need to repent. And they all just start burning rainbow flags. Yeah, just a me, and then then the helicopters or the camera crews just start leaving like in droves, like you know, bury the lead, <laughs> bury the lead. This never happened. <laughs> Area fifty one, this church just like yeah. orange cones. They will. Um, yes, how many feds? No, the, how many feds are at the service? That's what I. So so know. so let me, and that's what that's what I'm most interested in, Eric. Let me ask you, like, when you fall into the weight and conviction of the Holy Spirit, yeah, right, and and that sin, that sin, that confession of sin, confession, repentance. You would like, would you look for a real true revival sign? Would they immediately be burning those flags? Like, like that day, they'd be just, you'd see that. And then you'd go, wow. Like, would that not grab you more if you saw a video of that, like happening, like the turn? Well, that's kind of what I was saying is like, like even in the book of Acts, right? Where it's like the magicians. So here's another important thing. As a gospel preacher, you have to know what the sins of the people are. Right, you have to know what the sins of the Ninevites are. So it's just like if I'm counseling, but preaching. Like if you see a LGBT rally, or if you know the sins of Asbury, be like, those are the things you need to preach at. I guess the biggest concerning thing yeah, when I was listening to the messages, they were like, we just and everybody's testimony was kind of the same. They were like, we just had an overwhelming time of love and unity. And love and unity and surrendering. And I hear all these like cliche Christian things. I'm like, okay, well, I would feel more sure about it if it was like, hey, I realized that I was living with my boyfriend or my girlfriend and I needed to repent. And I've been fornicating and I've been promoting feminism and I've been promoting all these worldly, godless, heinous, heretical theologies and I'm renouncing them, like stuff that would actually be tangible. I I guess that stuff could have been happening. I I didn't I necessarily. Know. Yeah, no, but that's a great point. You're talking about real confession means listing, like understanding real sins that you're convicted and repentant over. Yeah, you're saying ex- exactly. the language has been very vague. Like, yeah, you know, I, I feel free for the first time ever. Well, yeah, what does that, that mean? mean? That could mean anything. Yeah, that can be free to sin more. You know, we even talk about like in our church when we do confession or counseling for that matter. Brian says this a lot, so do our other pastors. He's like, name the sin. So when I go through like marriage counseling with people, it's like, I want you to repent right now to your spouse, and I want you to name the sin. I don't want you to say, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner in general, and I'm sorry that perhaps maybe at times I've sinned against you. No, 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 no. I'm sorry for getting angry with you in an ungodly way and then using my bitter words to tear you down. Right. That's what confession is. And so repentance, think about John the Baptist in the wilderness. They come to him, and his preaching is so on the nose, and it's so pointed that the soldier says, how do I repent? And he has a specific command of repentance to him. And then the tax collector has a different command of repentance. So Asbury students have a different command of repentance based on what their sins are. And again, the preacher ought to know that. If you're a campus minister there, 
those would be the things where be like, look, you know, we need to put away this critical race theory. It is a godless, disgusting, foul invention of men. It's horrible. We need to repent of this. And then you would see, okay, well, did they, they're getting rid of that curriculum or they're, you know, doing away with that theology or, you know, again, kind of the sins of the day where you're like, are these people repenting? Well, yeah, because I can actually see it. Well, for I, I just haven't seen that. Yeah, I think for the people that I trust went closer to the beginning, first four or five days, and they were they were they were describing just a weight of sort of a humbled reaction to what they were hearing and to what they were singing that 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 called these that these people basically said out loud that we believe these people were worshiping, we believe that they were really coming to Jesus. I mean, that's the part that kind of sticks with me because I'm like, okay, I don't want to. This will always and forever now be was the Asbury Bible this or that instead of it went for 13 days like if the gospel got in there anywhere we probably will see our take of it will be based on what they talk about and what they talk about may not be the kind of things that you and I are looking for but that doesn't necessarily mean the kind of things that you and I are looking for never happened to me it really pulls it sort of outward and says how much of this are we even able to give a an accurate analysis of and I think that's kind of my point is we we don't we're not called to, but we are called to be very, very wise and very, very careful of what we call things. So I see all this hesitance in the right direction when it comes to not calling it a revival yet, but no hesitance at all from people who are like, it's the third great awakening. You know, the Holy Spirit's there, he's <laughs> yeah. there, and the church is on yeah. fire. <laughs> And all this stuff, it's like, okay, well, that's what needs to sort of be settled down because now what we've done is introduced a lot of these unbiblical things uh, to something we were hopeful for, um, but without you know painting everything with a broad brush. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't think that speaks specifically to the entire generation. I think this speaks specifically to this college at in Wilmore. But I think in general, what we need to realize and what many people listening need to realize is that what you said is exactly right. The young generation is easy to radicalize. They're passionate and they're tired at the same time. And if we don't disciple that generation, if we don't seek them out and disciple them, they will get discipled. Uh, and that's that to me as I think a huge takeaway uh, from this whole this whole experience is if you ca- why do you care all of a sudden is what I want to tell some people. Why do you care all of a sudden? Because something didn't match your exact description of a revival. How are you spending your week? Are you investing into young lives? Or are you just now caring about it? You know, that's that's my main takeaway. And I think for other people too, it's like, are you, if you're Greg Locke and you're listening to this podcast, very doubtful. But uh, yeah, just like, why are you there? Are you just an ambulance chaser? Uh, maybe not. Maybe some of these people aren't, but I think it's a lot of stuff like this. This is what I've kind of learned just from, again, going back to just a media training is it usually isn't helpful to jump to a conclusion immediately. If you'll wait two weeks, which no one wants to do, then you'll kind of see what things are and, you know, wait six months and see, and, you know, what's the overall direction we'll kind of see. Um, Adam, as we close, I want to, I, I want to point out, first of all, a very important piece of information. People can find you on Twitter. Um, we'll include this link in the show note, but Adam page 85. Is it, were you born in 85, Adam? Yeah. When I first started my Twitter, I didn't know that your handle was going to mean so much. I just put whatever, I just put whatever my, <laughs> my email address was at the time. That's beautiful. But I didn't ever change it because I don't care. I don't care about my personal information. Yeah, that's great. So people can uh, find you. I'm surprised you didn't put your social security number in your handle. That would have been even more it's in useful. My bio. It's in my bio. It's in my, it's in my bio <laughs> with my. <laughs> but th- this is an important piece of information, Adam. At this very moment, you have 12.9 thousand followers and I have 12.9 thousand followers. Are you serious? Is that real? Dude, we, I was, you were actually beating me. That's and great. then, uh, well, what happened? Yeah. How so, was, how'd you come about like 300 followers? Or yeah. Something? I'll, I'll tell you because, uh, the last couple of days, I did this really dumb thing. Okay. Where I, so I'm going to read you the tweets. This is a direct quote of Paul from 1 Corinthians 11, by the way. <laughs> I said, nature is clear. Women ought to have long hair and men short. Long hair on a woman is her glory. Long hair on a man is a disgrace. <laughs> Non-controversial, like usual. <laughs> However, 
This you is just what, get, you just get bored. Does it get just too silent where you are? You're just, like, I just no. I was it. literally I was like reading reading First Corinthians eleven. I was like oh, you're just a, quoting Paul. I was like that's a really good point. Yeah. And so I put it on there. Anyway, I got retweeted, not in a friendly fashion. Sure. By John Pavlovitz, who Ooh, is he's big time. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was the guy. Yeah. Author of If God Is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. Well, he was a jerk. And, uh, yeah, he retweeted me and I was getting piled on by, sure. uh, LGBT ladies with cats in their profile pictures. Um, and, but it took off. So he said, he retweeted me and he said, if Olympic level male fragility and horrible misogynistic theology had a baby, this is what its Twitter account would look like. So then I retweeted that with me chewing on a gold medal. Yeah. Kissing. I yeah, guess, of kissing course. gold medal. That's... Yeah, well, anyway, so on that post, <laughs> uh, okay, it got commented on by The Persistence, which is Scott Pressler. I know. I'm looking at it now. I'm trying to find Scott Pressler is, he's like a GOP vote getter guy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's got 1.3 million followers. And uh, yeah, he he responded. He said, I feel personally attacked. And then I very politely, he was like shaking hands with a woman in the photo. And I very politely said, which one is you? Because I actually didn't know who this guy was. I wasn't trying to be super rude. Anyway, it kind of took off from there. A lot of cat ladies. I can't imagine, I can't imagine why it upset anybody. That blows no. my mind. I'm a so winsome I just, person. <laughs> so I just posted, I need 28 votes to get to 13,000 followers before Eric Kahn. I said, I'll, exp- I'll explain later. <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. What a horrible! I please, I you know what I'm going to retweet this right now. Yeah, no, Red, I'll retweet yours, man, just to make it even. You know, like you put it out there. Is that a bad plug? Yeah. No, that's great. I need more votes than Adam Page. <laughs> Everyone on your page is going to be like, "Yeah, that's softy. You got it." <laughs> Whom I am podcasting right now. Okay. On that's better. Hard Men Podcast. Oh, goodness. I can't believe you. That guy has like 1.2 million, you said, followers? Something 1. crazy. He's, he's huge. Yeah, but it, he's. I'm not being facetious here. I think he is a homosexual. And he's just very, very upset by your... Does he even have long hair? It didn't seem like he had long hair. Yeah, the dude, Scott. He, he's got... It's like down to his oh, waist, right. probably. Yeah, he has. Wow. But it is kind of weird because it gets into this other thing. Like you're in the middle of red state Florida and I love my conservative mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, but it's mm-hmm. like, there's this GOP movement where it's like, yeah, you know, like Christianity's out and now LGBT is like ruling parts of the party. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I'm glad you're out getting Republican votes, but you're still going to hell if you're a sodomite. Like you need to repent of that. That's not yeah, good. Around 2016, it's, it, it has become sort of completely acceptable. I mean, it used to be more. It, so I'm not just than, noticing no. that. That's real. No, I mean, I think not I think that what I, what what I hear a lot from from pretty staunch conservatives, or at least they people that think they're staunch conservatives, if they is they've sort of forsaken the marriage battle, is what it sounds like. And what they'll often say is, "Well, I believe that you know marriage is between a man or woman, but I wouldn't enforce that." They sort of they don't realize what they're doing is what many professed Christians have done with the abortion debate. They're they're doing now with with homosexuality and sexual morality. How do you how do you deal with that pastorally? Because I, I know like an, if you if you went to our church or I don't know, probably your church, there's a lot of, you know, people who vote Republican. I did. Mm-hmm. Voted for Trump twice. Not ashamed to say that. So sure. I'm not like anti, you know, GOP, but I, I also am like, yeah, I'm not it's the whole like Prager U celebrating Dave Rubin's gay marriage, right. quote unquote, adopting a child. I'm like, no, I don't support that at all. Right. So yeah. how, how do, pastorally, do you feel like how do you deal with that issue? We put we level political idolatry. We yeah. level it. Okay. From the pulpit. No, we level it. Yeah, um, good. We we yeah we we it's unmistakable uh, where we feel or where we where we draw the line uh, on ethical, moral, and biblical. Uh, issues. We often say that politics has hijacked these things from your biblical worldview, so don't get them confused, um, that you're a Christian first. 
but we we don't end that with now you know I don't care which party you vote for because I also don't believe in the moral equivalence of the two party agendas. So I'm pretty open about that. I just don't talk about that part as much from the pulpit. But when someone asks me, I pretty much tell them right away. No, there's one that's obviously closer to uh, biblical ethics than the other, obviously. So that's sort of where I and lean they both on that. need Jesus mostly. I mean, every that's but but like if you don't yeah. end everything with everyone needs Jesus, then you don't really understand humanity or its no. need for Christ. So no, exactly. Of course, that's why I'm always kingdom and a king first. Uh, Kingsmen, right? That's what we are. Not presidents, men. Kingsmen. So and hard men and, and hard men, hard men and kingsmen. <laughs> Well, Adam, I appreciate having you on the show. Thanks so much, brother, for uh, coming on. Again, we'll uh, provide links in the show notes where people can follow you on Twitter. Uh, Last thing, though, I did want to mention is also you have a podcast with a giant bear on it, which makes me think of hunting. So I want to know what your podcast is about. What what are you guys podcasting about? Perfect. It's a We Bear Witness podcast. Um, specifically, it's to sort of re-engage the Bible Belt culture uh, with theology uh, in the sense that as a Christian, you're supposed to live a certain way. And I know that sounds so incredibly simplistic, but your, Christian, your Christianity is more than just a profession. It's how we live our lives. And then we take typical uh, sort of some hot-button culture issues, but most of the time we're walking just through the scriptures or what we're going through or answering hard questions and saying, okay, this is what it should look like in application. Mm. Uh, this is this is what it should look like in your day to day. Why? Because we bear a witness. We have a job. It's our job to pass this promise to the next generation, which means that you can't just profess something. You have to look like it as well. You have to you have to love it as well. And I will add to um, man, I, I want us to be praying for the people uh, involved in all of this stuff because I feel like there are some authentic stories happening there, and they're being sort of tossed around. By a lot of people that want to rob them of that. And I, I, I just want to remain a praying person, praying pastor, and pray for spiritual renewal to happen wherever we are, including your church as well. So you have my prayers, brother. Yeah, awesome, man. I think that's a good word. I definitely appreciate it. And Adam, thanks again for, uh, for joining me. Thanks, brother. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. And special shout out to our Patreon supporters. If you're not yet a Patreon supporter, you can join today for as little as $5 a month. And that definitely helps keep this work going. We are glad to partner with you for content that builds a new Christendom and reclaims biblical masculinity at the same time. You can check the show notes for the link to become a Patreon supporter of the Hard Men podcast today. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay frosty. Fight the good fight. Act like men.